The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. Glory to you, Lord. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Picture in your mind's eye the scene that is described in our gospel reading. It's Passover. It's one of the great festivals in the Old Testament, so a lot of people, including Jesus and his disciples, have come up to Jerusalem in order to celebrate that. So it's a busy place. And the temple area that Jesus and his disciples enter into has many tables and booths set up. And some of them were exchanging foreign currency for the currency that was used in the temple area. Others of those booths were selling animals for sacrifice. So there would have been oxen tied up and sheep tied up and crates of pigeons. Jews from far and wide would have been milling about, perhaps dickering for better rates and prices. This was a normal day, full of busyness. Those who were familiar with how things were at the temple wouldn't think anything of it. As you heard, Jesus did think differently. He made a whip from cords. And I don't know how else to describe it. He went on a rampage. He had to have been very forceful to make these merchants leave their booths and tables. This, after all, was their livelihood, but he did it. It says that he drove them all out, and somehow the oxen and the sheep were cut loose, so they were running about in the midst of the people. And then Jesus took their own property, he took their tills, and he dumped them out so that the coins scattered all over the place and got all mixed up. He kicked over the tables and he pulled down the booths. Quite a scene. Does the thought enter your mind, was Jesus right here? 
I wonder what Officer Job might have to say about all of this. Sounds like disorderly conduct. However important that might be, I'd actually like you to set that aside in your mind. I think there's a more interesting and important thing to think about, and that is, what must this fire have been like in Jesus so that he did what he did? What he did took a fire, took a lot of courage, because a lot of those people would have been making nasty faces at him, took a lot of energy, Obviously, Jesus cared a great deal, and indeed, the scripture was fulfilled. The psalm says, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So what has gotten Jesus so upset? The answer to that question is so foreign that it is almost incomprehensible to us. The reason why Jesus is so upset is because he cares about people praying. He wants people to pray to his Father. The temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations, and that purpose was being thwarted by what these traitors were doing. He says in our reading, take these things away. This is to be my Father's house. It's not to be a house of trade. The temple was the dwelling place of God's name. They had access to God's name. They could call upon God's name in that place. I must say, and to our shame, we have nothing of the fire that burned in Jesus. When was the last time that you were upset? Really upset? Did it have anything to do with prayer? Did it have anything to do with conscience? which is closely related. Having a good conscience toward God is indispensable for praying with confidence and faith. Were you upset because these things were being hampered in you or in other people? Probably not. The last time you were really upset was probably because something bad happened to you. Somebody made a mistake and it created an inconvenience for you. Or maybe more maliciously, somebody hurt you. Somebody said something bad about you. Your quality of life was hampered and maybe you went on a rampage about that. But prayer, conscience, these are thought to be back burner issues. This is why Jesus is so incomprehensible to us. Zeal for God's house had eaten him up. When have you had zeal for being in God's house, for praying? Maybe never. But maybe you haven't known any better, <clears throat> and that wouldn't be surprising. What most people believe is really important is their quality of life. The stuff that they get really upset about is how things are going for them in this life. If any thought is given to God, it is usually feeble and fleeting. 
It's usually not much more than, yes, God exists, I try my best, so eh, I should be all right. Now, enough of that. Let's get back to the business of improving my quality of life. The same thing is usually true with those who deny God's existence. They usually don't put a lot of thought into it either. They maybe heard some stuff from the Bible that sounded impossible or ridiculous to them. That settles it. They've drawn their conclusion. So they'll say something different than you. They'll say, God doesn't exist. But what then? The, ref the refrain is the same. Let's get busy improving my quality of life. This carries over into people's thoughts about heaven, too. This life looms so large in people's minds that it carries over into heaven. Most people think that heaven will just be a continuation of this life, but without all the annoyances. People will spend their time in heaven doing those things that they best like to do while here on this earth. So the happy farmer maybe will spend his time in heaven farming, or the person who loves riding horses will ride horses eternally. Although these kinds of thoughts about heaven are extremely common, they are not thought about very deeply. People simply fail to notice, for example, that with this conception of heaven, people continue to ignore God in heaven just like they ignored God on this earth. Or again, people will be seeking their own advantage in heaven just like they sought their own advantage here in this life. But ignoring God and seeking one's own advantage seems to me to be more accurate of a description of hell than it is of heaven. Ignoring God, seeking your own advantage, sounds more like hell than heaven. God will not be ignored in heaven, nor will any of those who are there want to ignore him. And as for seeking your own advantage, heaven is the opposite of that. The opposite of that is love. Heaven is the place where love is, because God is there, and as the scriptures say, God is love. In fact, a great transformation must take place in us in order for us to be happy in such a place. We must be made holy. Sin must be purged from us. We must be filled with love from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. For the first time since we were born, we will know what pure love is. For the first time, we will love with our whole heart without adulteration. We will receive love from God and all of his creatures and we will love them right back. Is there anything better than being loved and loving in return? So how can we go on being the way that we have been? How can we not care about this relationship with God? who is love? How can we not care about other people's 
relationship with God. Maybe an illustration would help get across what I'm trying to say. I'm sure that you've noticed how toddlers like to play with blocks. They like to build them all up and then push them over. They could do that over and over again. They're happy to spend their time that way. And maybe to them there's no better way to spend your time. We who are grown, however, know that's not true. I'm assuming that none of you, at least none of you who are grown, have built towers this morning just so that you could knock them over. You occupy yourself with higher things that more fully engage your abilities. When Jesus drove the people out of the temple because they were engaging merely in trade and being totally mindless toward God, it was as though Jesus were telling them to quit playing with blocks. You're too old for that. There's something higher, better, and more important. Prayer, conscience, knowing God. This is what we were made for. We weren't made to play with blocks our whole lives. But people can be pretty serious about their blocks. CEOs, presidents, those who are wise according to worldly standards, those who are strong, those who are of noble birth, they easily believe that their affairs are a cut above everybody else's. Their blocks are really important. But even if a person were the CEO of the biggest company, or if a person were president of the entire world, such a position doesn't even exist. That would still be like playing with blocks. Knowing God, and knowing God through Jesus, is the way that we become the creatures that we were meant to be. In our Gospel reading, Jesus is angry and upset because people are being turned aside from what is truly good for them to stuff that is worthless and passing away. Jesus says in another place, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? Or what can a person give in exchange for his soul? How many jet skis does it take how many vacations do you have to take in order to get a sufficient quality of life? These are but building blocks that give a tiny thrill. We would do well to catch a little bit of the fire that was in Jesus. We would do well to be zealous for the same things that Jesus was zealous about because he wanted what was good and valuable for people. Our hearts and our neighbors' hearts easily and naturally get captured by all kinds of things so that we think nothing of God or think very little of God. This and that capture our love and our devotion. Well, this and that are lame. God is good. He is life-giving. Missing out on Him is more than enough for anybody to get upset. Please stand. The peace of God that transcends all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.
Amen. Amen.